0: Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. John writes, And after the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. And once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down here before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour, about one o'clock. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And so he and all of his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. You know, there's a couple of uh, TV shows that I just... Have tried to watch, and I really can't get into them. There's probably a number of reasons. One of them is uh, ER, and the other one's Grey's Anatomy. Um, when well, I watch those shows. Um you know, they're just so full of drama. They just every minute there's some tragedy in somebody's life or there's some broken relationship or there's somebody that's on the deathbed or there's some cliffhanger that's going on and it's all about relationships and it's all this drama, this human drama of life that just this just goes on minute after minute and there's just this, this constant stream of, of all this drama. <coughs> and uh uh, you know, I've tried to watch it a couple of times, and I'm, and I, basically, uh, what it comes down to is, uh, I'm one of the pastors of a thousand people, uh, and all the drama that I could ever want, uh, we got it. As pastors, well, if you've got drama in your life, you come talk to us. And it happens all the time. And there's just, I mean, I'm looking out at these faces, and I see drama, human drama, uh, one thing after another. Thank goodness for all of you, most of you, it's not going on all at the same time. But there's always somebody with a major crisis going on in their life. And for 13 years now, 12 and a half years, uh, I have observed the drama day by day, week in, week out, of the lives of the people of this congregation. And you multiply that all over the world, and that's just going on all the time. That's just life under the sun. There's just one common denominator that, that, uh, that we all experience in life, and that it is filled with pain. We are born into pain. Our birth, the very act of birth, is a painful experience. Uh, We we move from that warm mother's womb where everything is perfect, and then there's this huge traumatic experience that is the beginning of life, and it never stops. All through our growing up years, we struggle with who am I, what am I for, why am I so different than other people, why are they better than me at those things, how come I'm no good at that? Uh, And as we grow up, we struggle with our relationships, we struggle with the people around us, we struggle with who we are. And then we have great and joyous moments. There are marriages and there are the births of children. But even those things just bring new drama and new tragedies and new crises into our life. And life continues on like that all the way to the end until the end is usually a dramatic, tragic ending that's painful that is our death. And so now that I've got you all cheered up here on Thanksgiving morning... um, but that's life. Life is a painful series of experiences. And it seems like there's always some kind of uh, fear, some kind of worry, some kind of anxiety that's hanging over our heads all of our life. And so I wonder, what's, what's your anxiety right now? Uh, kind of bring it up, get it in touch with it. What is it that you're worried about right now? What are you fearful of? What are you concerned about? What are you afraid might happen? What's what's hanging over your head in your life? What are you wrestling with? Is it some illness? Is it a financial setback? Have you lost a job? Are you about to lose a job? Is there a struggle in your relationship, in your marriage, at work? The guy across the fence in the backyard? Maybe it's your teenager. Maybe it's your grade school kid. Maybe it's your baby. There's struggles that your children are going through. What is that anxiety that's going on in your life right now? And Almost all of us, to one degree or another, have something. Almost all the time. So whatever your fears are, the Bible speaks to it. The Bible has something to say to us in the midst of our fears. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, gives us a promise, Uh, and it gives us a command, and then it gives us a promise, and it says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and so there's a command for us with a promise, and the command is... Don't let that anxiety rule your life. That's not what should rule the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't let those fears and those worries be the ruler of your life. Take all of those fears and those anxieties and give them to Jesus Christ through prayer. And He will give to you a peace that will then rule in your life. And it will guard your heart and your mind. It will guard uh, your, your confidence, your sense of that things are okay, that things are under control, your ability to trust. There's a peace that God says, even though life is filled with one series of dramatic tragedies after the other, there is a peace that the believer in Jesus Christ is supposed to have in the midst of that. So laying hold of this promise is its a matter of trust and a matter of believing God at His Word. And so first, uh, what Jesus would say to us is that first we must believe so that we can see so that we have life. And we come back to the book of John. And this is a major theme in this book of John. The theme of believing that leads to seeing that will be uh, the way that we gain the life that Jesus Christ has for us. John wraps up the whole book as he says this, as he's quoting Jesus. And then then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and reach out your hand and, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, he said to Thomas. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, as he saw the wounds in Jesus' hand and in his side. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, all of these signs and these stories in the book of John, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And so John is saying that the way to have life is to believe. If we want to see God work, we need to believe in Him. We need to trust Him. And in believing in Him, we will see Him work and we will have the life that God wants to give us. Belief in Jesus produces a life. And that's a promise from the Word of God. This theme shows up. John 3.16 God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him might have eternal life. John five twenty five twenty four truly truly, I say to you that whoever believes in him who sent me will not come into judgment, it passes out of death into life, and so this promise is given all, all uh, over and over again throughout particularly the book of John that if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we trust in him, that he will give us life, and this life this eternal life is not just a quantity of life that goes on forever and it's something that we enjoy in heaven when we die Uh, I think it's more than that it's a quality of life it's a kind of life that begins here and now there's an already aspect to the kind of eternal life that Jesus Christ promises us as believers Uh, there's parts of it that are not yet here that we won't yet lay a hold of and that ultimately we won't see until we go to heaven but there's a whole bunch of it that's already here that belongs to us, that we can grab hold of this life. It's not just about living in heaven forever. It is a quality of life that is found in the person of Jesus Christ and it is meant to be lived out on this earth beginning now. It is a life of shalom, of peace, of wholeness. Of security, It's a life of wisdom. It's a life of healing. It's a life with your feet firmly planted on something rock solid that cannot move. So that no matter what is swirling around you, no matter how tipped upside down and messed up the world is around you, no matter what is coming at you, your feet are firmly planted on a rock solid foundation that is the person of Jesus Christ that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken from you. This is the life that Jesus Christ promises. So our passage today is about someone who came to that belief, who then saw, who then grabbed hold of that life and saw it applied to his family. It is a story of a man with an anxiety, just like you and I, that leads to a test of his belief. Now I want to begin with a map just because I love Maps. And uh, I like to see where I'm at. And so this is a map um, of the Holy Land. And uh, the little blue circle is around the little town of Cana. And if you look just south of Cana, you can make out Nazareth. That's about eight miles away. Um, And so Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And Cana is close by. And probably Jesus had relatives there. Just a few weeks ago, we did the, the, uh, the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana. And that was his first sign the first miracle uh, that was done in Cana. And then you look across over to the Sea of Galilee and you see the city of Capernaum. That's about 20 miles away. And it's, the Sea of Galilee is down about 700 feet below sea level. And the town of Cana is up there, up in the hills, considerably above sea level. And so it's way down there and it's way up here and it's about a 20-mile trip between the two places. And it's just kind of important to get that in your head as we look at this story. And understand the setting, and Jerusalem is way down off the bottom of the map, and this has been a time when Jesus has just been in Jerusalem, He uh, 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 cleared out the temple, he did miracles in Jerusalem, uh, and now he had returned back up into Galilee, and now he had returned to cana and that 's where we find him as this story begins and so if you want to if you 're following along in your bible verse forty six and it says uh, there that uh, there was a certain uh, uh, basilikos. He was a, a, a royal official. The word is basilikos. It means like little king. He's like a, a courtier, a guy who worked for the king. And probably he worked for Herod Antibus, uh And he lived in Capernaum in that little town right by the lake. And, uh, you know, word it apparently spread very fast and it probably would have spread even more quickly to this guy who Worked with the king, he would be connected. He would hear things, and uh, he was probably a, a rich guy. As we're going to find out that he had—he uh, has—he's got people. Uh, you know, he's got servants that uh, worked for him, and so uh, he's probably a very wealthy man, a very connected man, uh, a, a, a person with authority, um, and uh, he lives about a day's trip away. From where Jesus is at in Cana, and so word gets to him that, you know, this miracle worker, this healer, is up there in Cana, and he is a man with an anxiety, and his anxiety is that his little one, his little child, his son, was sick and close to death. Now, you know, my children have never been like. There's only one time I thought that was true, was when uh, Neil was a little baby, or maybe a couple years old. And he had the croup. And I don't know if your children have ever had that. But uh, I didn't know what it was. And I thought he he couldn't breathe. And when your little one can't breathe and they can't get any air into their lungs, uh, I've never been so frightened in all my life. This was just sheer terror. Because if you're holding your little one in your arms and that little one is struggling for their next breath and you think they're going to die... That's desperation and fear. And that's where this father was at with his little one. His little one was sick with a fever and was dying. And he feared for the life of his child. And he would do anything. He was in a crisis because of the threat of the loss of his child. And so he um, makes that one day trip up into the hills to Cana. And he finds Jesus. And You you get the impression that perhaps this is at a uh, a somewhat public setting because the guy comes up and he begins to speak to Jesus and he's begging him. He's pleading with him. Please, would you come down with me and go to Capernaum with me? My son is sick and he's dying and I know that you can heal him. Will you please come with me and lay your hands on him and pray for him? I need you to come so that you can heal my son. And he's begging with Jesus to come. Now, Jesus' response in verse 48 seems kind of cold. Next slide. Um, Jesus says to him, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, uh, you will never believe. And it seems like, well, that's kind of a harsh thing to say to a guy who's begging for his little child. But I think as Jesus was speaking, it wasn't just speaking to this royal official, he was speaking to the group, to the crowd that was there, all of the Galileans, and the Jewish people that were there and he was saying, you know, all of you you're, you're all kind of hanging around me here because you're wanting to see me do something, you're, you're kind of anxious, you're glad I'm here, but you're glad I'm here because you want to see me uh, perform a miracle, do something exciting and you're, you're, you know, you're just waiting, now you, you, you're willing to believe but you want to see me do something first and Jesus is rebuking them and challenging them. And I think this man, this man hears it and he understands. And the man is not deterred by that. And I think he's saying to Jesus, no, I, I believe. I need you to come with me. And so the, the royal official says, uh, sir, come down before my child dies. Please, please, sir. Please come with me. He's going to die. I believe in you. And so the man is showing faith, but his Jesus is too small. He thinks that Jesus has got to come with him in order to heal this child. And I don't think it probably even occurred to this guy that Jesus could do it 20 miles away. He's a healer, but he doesn't quite know what kind of healer he's talking to. And there's a, a prayer here, you know, Lord, come do this. Please help me. And this is what I would call a pickle prayer. Uh, these are the kind of prayers when we're desperate. You know, when I'm holding Neil and he can't breathe, I'm praying a pickle prayer. Lord, it's a crisis prayer. It's please, help us know what to do here. And as it turns out with the croup, all you got to do is walk outside and they breathe some fresh air and they're fine. I But I didn't know that at the time. But, um, not a big crisis, but I thought it was. This guy had a very real crisis. And so he's praying this crisis prayer, but a prayer of faith asking Jesus to help him in that time, in that difficult time in his life. And Jesus steps that crisis up a notch for this guy when he responds to him and he says, Yes, go. Your son will live. Now imagine being that dad and you're begging him to do something, but he he takes it another direction and all of a sudden there you're you're standing there can you just imagine the wheels going in the guy's head as Jesus says this? Well, sure, I'll do it. Go. Your son is healed. He's just heard this rebuke about unless you see, you won't believe, you know, okay, this guy wants me to do this without seeing, and now he's telling me I gotta just go and leave him here. And that he's healed my son. Is Did he? Does that work? Do I believe that? Can I trust him? And there's a new crisis that's born in this man's heart as Jesus lays out this challenge for him. And he makes a decision. And I think he is an example for us. God is telling us, this is the way I want you to be. He took, it says, the Bible says, he took Jesus at his word and he departed. Confident? Maybe. Obedient? Yes. One foot in front of the other at least. He departed. He walked out of that place and began the journey home. Now, that getting late in the evening. Uh, you don't travel at night. He has to wait till the next morning and he begins to head out the next morning Heading home to see what's going to happen now. Um, the next day he's making the trip. And it, it, the verse goes on that while he was still in the way, his servants met him. Um, now, I know what I'd be like on that trip back to Capernaum. I'd be kind of like, at one moment I'd be thinking, Yes, that's exciting. Jesus said he'd heal him. That's great. I can't wait to get home. The next moment I'd be going, Maybe I'd just been had. Maybe the, I just got the brush off. Maybe he just wanted to get rid of me and that was a convenient way to do it. Maybe he's not going to do anything. Maybe this is going to be one of the most embarrassing times of my life on top of the fact that my son's going to die and I just made a fool of him. Who You know, all of those things go through your head. But what you hear about this man is uh, we're not sure what was going on in his heart. I know what would be going on in my heart. But what we do know about him is that he was practicing a one foot in front of the other faith that just... Did in obedience what Jesus said to do, and he headed home. And before he even got home, his servants had left that probably that same morning, the same time he did. They met him halfway on the road, and they uh, told him the news that his boy was living. And he inquired as to the time when his son had gotten better, and they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That was about one o'clock, and the father realized, Hey, that's the exact time. That Jesus said to him, your son will live. And there's great rejoicing and excitement. Yes! Jesus gives life. And so this faith that started as a crisis faith, and that became uh, a faith of obedience and maybe confidence, some confidence now is confirmed as he sees his son is healed and yes Jesus does give him life and lastly this faith becomes a contagious faith where his whole household believes and so his wife who now sees the son and hears the testimony also believes and the servants believe and grandma believes and uncle Charlie believes and the whole household that lived there and all those around him saw and believed what Jesus had done. And so this man's faith becomes an evangelistic faith that brings in others as well. And possibly even more. Luke 8, three tells us there's a Cusa and Joanna and that they were in Herod's household and that they were followers of Jesus. Maybe the same couple, maybe others that, that uh, this family had told about. Later we find in Acts 13 that there's a Manian that is Herod's uh, stepbrother and uh, that he is a believer. And it came from that household as well. And so it's possible that this contagious faith spread to not only his own household, but to some other households as well. But this is how our faith grows. And let's go to the next slide. Um, it begins oftentimes with a crisis faith, a pickle, prayer, a difficulty, an anxiety. And I know that's, that's how I got saved. I remember when I was a teenager... Uh, there was a, a crisis in my life. I, one of those times where I cried out to God and I prayed and I, I turned to Him in a time of need. And it seemed like He answered the prayer in a very specific way. And He got my attention through that crisis prayer. And it led me to begin to ask more questions. And I, eventually I found faith in Jesus Christ and eternal life as my faith grew. And so oftentimes it begins with a crisis in our life. It's a test that God brings into our life to help our faith grow. And then next, it's a question of what, how will we respond. If we respond in obedience to the test, it can be a confident faith that begins to grow. As we take that one foot in front of the other kind of faith that begins to walk through the trial that God has brought into our lives. And so we may not be confident in feelings, but it's confident in our actions. And that's what God looks for. It's not necessarily how you feel. It's not whether or not all kinds of doubts are turning around in your mind. The question is, how are you walking? Are you putting one foot in front of the other? Are we continuing down that path that God has set us on? And are we continuing in trust and in confidence in Him? And that's the time of test when the crisis turns into a call to obedience and we're called to walk through whatever trial it is that God has brought to our life. And then faith becomes confirmed at the end when we see God has been work and we see the fruit and the life that it brings to us. And that's a real faith that is oftentimes contagious as, as our experiences with God, as we see Him working around us, as we get excited about the reality of the life that Jesus Christ brings into our lives, when we live by faith, we become contagious in expressing that faith to others around us. And so that evangelism becomes a natural outgrowth of the of the experiences of our life as faith is real. Now there's another important point in this passage that we have to get to get the full benefit of what it is trying to teach us. There are uh, two sign miracles that occur in Cana. And um, the first part of this passage is said, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine And at the end of the passage it said this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. And so John is making a point here. He wants to make sure we don't miss it. That we notice that here is a miracle in Cana. And back here a while ago there was another miracle in Cana. And this one over here was at a wedding. And it was one of the most joyous times in a person's life. My son got married earlier this summer in uh, the end of May And it really is. I mean, as a family, you know, I've done lots of weddings as a pastor, but until your own son gets married, it is, that's just sheer joy. That is just the funnest, one of the funnest things I've ever done in my entire life was to be a part of my own son and now this new daughter that we've got in our family. It's just, it's just great. I mean, I just, bubbling over the whole thing. It's fun. It's just great joy. And it was into that setting that Jesus came and He turned the water into wine and He made it better. He brought life into life. And so even in the best of times, in the very, the very most wonderful times, if Jesus is in the middle of it, if you're trusting Him, if you let Him come into it, all the greater the joy. And that was exactly my experience with, with Eric and Liz's wedding. They loved Jesus. And Jesus was just all over the place in their wedding. And every song and every word And it was just glorious. And then it's over here. The other side, At the other end of the spectrum. A son that's about to die. Does it get any worse? Can you think of anything as a parent? Can you think of the two ends? Can you think of anything worse than the death of your child? And that... Jesus is invited into that crisis and Jesus brings life. And so there it is. I mean, that's John's point here. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, the, the, the most joyous time of your life to the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen. Don't run away from Jesus in those times. Open your heart to Him. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Let Him work Grab on to Him with all you've got because He wants to give us life. Jesus brings life into the best, into the worst, and everything else in between. He wants to give us life. Let Him. Trust Him. Your Thanksgiving service... I think really illustrated this beautifully the testimonies that were shared all of them were just this exact thing um, seven eight people stood and told stories of joys where Jesus was a part of it Diane shared her testimony and her her in-laws accepted her in her family and how she came to faith in Christ and it was a it was a joy but Jesus was in the middle of it and he gave life and uh Another person shared 90 years Jesus in his life and the glory that that's been. And then others shared about cancer and uh, knee replacement and uh, a child that went through surgery recently, uh, different kinds of struggles, and Jesus in the middle of those bringing life and protection. And then I'm sure there's a whole bunch of them out there a lot of you that are right in the middle of it yet. You know, you're right in the middle of the crisis and you're taking the one step in front of the other kind of experience in the trial. And so Hebrews 12 is for all of us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There it is for us, I think. The life giver. Fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on him. He is the beginner of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. He is the example of our faith. He is the one who trusted all the way through the crisis of death on the cross. And He is the life giver. I'd like to invite the worship team, why don't you come on up here. Um, And uh, elders, any of those who might be willing to help others pray come on up and grab a spot in the front row um what i'd like us to consider today is you know see i'm i'm almost sure that yeah worship team just come on up um i'm almost sure there's lots of people here who are in the one step in front of the other part of this or you're in the crisis part of this um And uh, you've got the doubts, and you're wanting to be obedient, and you're wanting to be faithful, and you're wanting to trust. But it's not easy. That's hard to do. And you need prayer. And so what I'd like to uh, invite you to do as the worship team closes our our service, uh, we're going to give one of those rare things we do in our church, an altar call, uh, to come on up here and ask for prayer. And it might be, you know, it might be that you're here today and the crisis is you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior before. And He wants to give you life. And you know that you're a sinner and you know that you're separated from God and you know that Jesus died for you. And so why not now? Why not come up, sit with one of the folks up here, tell them that you need Jesus, and they'll lead you in a prayer and take you into His presence. Or maybe you're a believer and you're struggling with your trust in the midst of whatever trial you're in. And we've all got them. Everybody's got them. So don't be embarrassed by that. We've all got them. Come on up here and then ask the elder when you're done what's going on in his life and pray for him. Because I guarantee you they got them as well. So, you know, come on up here if you want to. Or where you're at or turn to the person next to you. And as the worship team is closing us in in this song, uh, let's pray. And let's go to the life giver. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And let's cry out to Him. And let's take it to Him. And let's believe Him. Because He wants to give us life if we'll just trust Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, we come boldly into Your presence. And we are accepted by Your grace. And we confess before You that we are lost and we need You. And we struggle in this life. And we know that You are the life giver who wants to give life in whatever circumstances we face, if they're joyful or the most painful thing we can think of, you are the life giver. And we want to come to you for that life, Lord Jesus, by faith, by trusting, by believing, by one step in front of the other, obedient faith, we come. We come to you, Lord Jesus. We pray it in your name.